story is imprinted on the hearts of people across Canada now. And those people, they are not giving up until that policy is changed. This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, welcoming you to Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, presented by the Fur Bears. To make sure I stay on track with my release schedule, I wrapped up the writing of the Defender Radio Family Christmas Special script last night at around 1.30 in the morning. It's unlike what I've done in the past, which were fun Christmas-themed interviews. This is a full-on radio play with voice acting, music, and special effects. I've been wanting to do this for years, and I'm so excited that it's finally happening. The episode will be up, along with some special content, on December 18th, just in time for your family Christmas. Stay tuned for more. If you want to support the show and endeavors like this, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash defenderradio. From just $1 a month of support, you'll receive behind-the-scenes access, blogs, and photos. At $5, you'll receive bonus content from every interview not released anywhere else. And at $25, you'll get all that, plus a Defender Radio tee. I'll even record your voicemail message for you. Check it out and get details at patreon.com slash defenderradio. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Defender Radio. In October, I received a slew of emails about an injured bear cub in a community outside of Calgary, Alberta. Ordinarily, I just do a quick Google search and provide the concerned animal lovers with contact information for their closest wildlife rehabber. But that didn't work in this case, because Alberta doesn't allow for the rehabilitation of orphaned bear cubs. Unlike neighboring British Columbia and here in Ontario, Alberta has strict policies that will not allow several species of orphaned wildlife to be rehabbed, and they don't really offer any studies or scientifically based reasons as to why. As one can expect, this policy, particularly in this case of this injured bear cub named Russell by area children, led to an outcry. Local wildlife lovers have come together to push for change to that policy, both through a temporary permit for the local Cochrane Ecological Institute which is set up and did rehab bears and bear cubs for decades, and for other cubs moving forward. The fur bears have proudly supported those initiatives. The informal group of advocates have also created a stir in area media on the issue, created a man-made den for Russell, and are on alert for changes to his health or behavior. Lisa Dahlside, a biologist and a former rehabber at the Cochrane Ecological Institute, connected with me to have an in-depth talk about the story of Russell the lack of evidence behind the government's no-rehab policy, the ins and outs of actions taken already by the informal group, and what animal lovers from across Canada and around the world can do to help Russell and other cubs in his situation. Here's this week's 60-second advocacy and a quick message from our supporters. Russell, an orphaned and injured bear cub in a rural community called Bragg Creek outside of Calgary, is not allowed to be rehabilitated due to an unexplained provincial policy. A group of compassionate residents and animal lovers have taken it upon themselves to reverse this policy to help Russell and any other bear cubs who are in his situation. An experienced rehabilitation facility for bear cubs does exist, but is unable to help due to this policy. Concerned residents locally and around the world are asked to contact Alberta Environment and Parks staff and political leaders to demand change and contact area media to keep the pressure up on them. You can get details and blogs by the Fur Bears on all of these actions and more by visiting thefurbears.com slash Russell. 
Looking for a parka that'll keep you warm in Canada's extreme winters and not harm the animals? Check out Woolly Outerwear, a Toronto-based, made-in-Canada ethical company that utilizes military-grade technology to keep you warm and help save the lives of animals. Portions of every sale go to support the fur bears and animal sanctuary. I embrace my wild side by wearing Woolly, and you can too. Learn about their commitments to the environment, the animals, and the people they work with, as well as how to buy at WoollyOuterwear.com or anywhere on social media. What's the story of Russell the Bear? So, Russell the Bear, his name is Russell, actually, from some of the, the neighboring kids that, mm-hmm. that live, live right next to where he's uh, frequenting. Um, he was first spotted uh, at the end of September. The first formal report came in on September 27th. A little tiny bear limping in the field. Uh, lots of people stopping and taking this picture. And so immediately, um, once people had contacted and informed uh, Cleo Smeaton at the Cochrane Ecological Institute, uh, she contacted the government and requested a temporary shelter permit to go in um, and as well as uh, lending of a live bear trap so that um, she could go in and, and rescue this little guy rehabilitate him, have a vet check him out, and then uh, for future release him back into the wild. But she still has yet to even receive a reply from the government on that. Uh, Meanwhile, there's been thousands of other people who have uh, also sent our Alberta government the same request. So it's clear that the overall public who is um, seeing this little fella, they really feel strongly that he does need some human intervention. The government's standpoint is to let nature take its course. And um, and so they don't want to intervene. But I believe that when they made that statement in early October, that they really did not expect what has unfolded. So I think that they thought this little bear would retreat into the woods go somewhere else and probably die a really lonely death somewhere due to its severe injuries out of human sight. However, what's happened is the empathetic people who are caring for this bear and who have, you know, had their heartstrings pulled quite strongly by his presence and their, their um, daily driving by him and seeing him, they have started to do the acts of what would have happened in bear rehabilitation in a rehabilitation facility, so they've been feeding him, and uh, they've been they've been really quite active at trying to do what they can to take care of this little guy. Um, so he is uh, he is still he is still there. He didn't retreat into the bush and die. So now the government just I think doesn't really know what to do. Yeah, they're in a bit of a, a tricky spot politically, I think, at this point. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I'm curious about. The rehab process. Uh, before we get into some of what's been said and the the possibilities and problems presented with this specific instance, the question of like when should we intervene? Um, and that's something I think a lot of us who are empathetic say, "Oh, we should just help the animals. It's just a given." But if we're going to look at it from a purely objective uh, standpoint, which can include ethics um, as well as science. How do we decide, like, yes, this bear should be assisted or the reality is animals die in the wild, and that is part of life? Mm -hmm. Well, I think first off, I think it is our responsibility in 
all cases where there's an orphaned animal that we should assist. So this little fella is orphaned. He's um, likely, he's nine months old, nine to ten months old right now, born in February of 2017. Chances are, maybe, some people have estimated he could have been a 2016 cub. Either way, he's orphaned. Mm -hmm. He would have still been with his mother in this case. Likelihood of why he's staying in one field isn't just due to the feedings that's happening from the public, but bears that are orphaned in this spot will stay where they're orphaned. So his behavior is definitely a strong indication that that's what's happened. Um, so an orphaned, probably a poacher on the highway, uh, um, maybe in the night or something like that. I'm not really sure what the scenario was there. And in that case, I think in all cases, for all species, no matter what species it is, they should be uh, rehab- got, they should go to a rehabilitation facility. Um, and in the case of injury, definitely there's some situations where an older injured animal maybe isn't suitable for rehabilitation. And there's a good example of that uh, just last week at the Northern Lights Wildlife uh, Sanctuary in BC, mm-hmm. um, where they do take in quite a large number of bears. They uh, went through great efforts to, um, to catch an injured black bear. He was about two years old. But when they had the vet assess him, he was so underweight, his teeth had all turned black. He just he just wasn't a good candidate for rehabilitation, and they chose to euthanize him, feeling that that was the most kind thing to do in that situation. So so there are situations like that as well, and and I think that having that veterinarian assessment is quite important. And in the case of this little Russell. Um, maybe too, if a vet assessed him, I, I, maybe they would say that euthanization was the best option. I'm thinking not so much now, but possibly in his state um, two months ago when they when they first saw him, he might have been classified as not being eligible for rehabilitation. And I think so, it's very important to point out too that a veterinarian has not examined this cub up close. Everything has been done from a distance with pictures and video. And as far as I know, no veterinarian uh, has actually been involved, just, um, you know, the the rehabbers and people with experience like yourself and the government's counterparts. Uh, but again, that's actually, without actually there is a close. team of um, vets at the okay. University of Calgary who have gone out to assess him. So they've gone to the site to watch him. There's a class, I believe, that did that. Okay. And the lead vet, the lead vet in that situation as well, um, he has offered his services to uh, tranquilize this little bear and and formally assess him. So that, uh, that's been offered by him. That's also been offered by another vet who contacted the government. And I think in total there's about five vets who have stepped up and said they will yeah. uh, take action. However, they need that government approval. They can't just go in and do this for the bear because they're at risk of losing their veterinarian license as a result. So um, so it's at no cost to the government. These individuals have offered their services free of charge, and they are still not granted permission. One of the so things that- uh, the government expert, quote-unquote, has said um, is that attempts to rehabilitate, and this, this comes from the actual letter sent out by Alberta Environment and Parks, um, 
the that attempts to rehabilitate will place him, quote, at significant risk, inflict pain, and add additional stress. Um, and, and I'm guessing yeah. from your response to that, you disagree with the principle. I I disagree. They 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 stated in that letter too that there is a good chance the leg had to be rebroken, mm-hmm. and that's just an assumption based on nothing because no vet has had a look at it. We have no idea if it's even a break. Maybe he was shot in the hip. Maybe uh, his injury coincides with bow hunting season. He could have an arrow that's broken off in his leg. He's been still two months later licking that wound. So there's a good chance of something like that has occurred and he's got an infection. Um, We have no idea what that injury is. All we know is that it is an injury to his hind leg. And uh, that's about it. We can tell, though, that it's still causing him severe pain because he is licking it. And if there is no open wound, then um, consistent licking does indicate localized pain. Mm -hmm. He's not very well groomed, and so lots of pictures of him are good evidence of this. He um, has a very messy coat, and that's an indication that an animal is, is not feeling well. And then looking at the shape of his eyes. So this is something that um, wildlife rehabbers have a lot more experience with, is just looking at the shape of an animal's eye can really indicate that it's unwell. And this poor little guy definitely has that that shape and that look in his eye that says he's not being good. So uh, those are those, that's really all we know. And uh, without having a vet look at him, we don't know anything more than that. A lot of ideas are being floated about in terms of how to handle the situation. Uh, some of them are people taking on responsibilities themselves, um, either appropriately or inappropriately. A lot of them are uh, the sort of informal group of people who are, uh, yourself included, trying to find solutions. Um, I want to go through a couple of those. One of them is feeding, and you've already brought that up. This is something that we hear a lot from people, um, whether we are talking about you know, in this case, uh, an injured bear cub who is not looking that well through to the chipmunks who visit my backyard here in downtown Hamilton um, and the need to feed them or the want to feed them. When we talk about wildlife feeding, it's a very broad issue. Um, but in this case, what are the potential issues with feeding this bear cub? Um, well, this is one I'm, I'm also quite torn on. It's, um, I, I don't believe he'd be alive if it wasn't for the people feeding him. So I am grateful to the people that have fed him some nice meals because I think that's one of the main reasons why he's still, why he's still alive and drawing attention to this policy issue that we have in Alberta. Um, but a lot of people have dropped off carcasses, um, mm-hmm. deer carcasses. And the risk with that is that it does attract other predators in the area. And this little bear cub is only the size of a coyote. He's not very big at all. Yeah. Not very strong. He's very, he's very much underweight, even though he's uh, gotten a significant weight increase over the last two weeks. He still is underweight for what he should be. And so, and with his injury, he just is an easy target for any predators that get invited into the area due to this food dumping. So I don't agree with feeding him meat. Another reason that it's not good to feed him um, a protein, a high-protein diet at this time is because as he's preparing for hibernation, he actually requires a really high-carbohydrate diet so that he can put on a lot of that weight. 
So um, the meat is just not a good option for him. Other things that are rich in the carbohydrates would be a better feeding option for him. Um, so, But then I get torn as well because we have, our group has placed a den out for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the den is not, we don't have landowner permission from the land that he frequents. So it's on neighboring land. And he's not going to find that den if he is continually getting fed um, from the side of the highway. Um, so, so yeah, all these things are issues for sure. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because when we uh, – I just punched my microphone while I was talking. Um, it's an interesting issue because there are times when intervention is helpful. Uh, and I've talked about this with um, – I believe it was um, uh, Sylvia Dolson of the uh, Get Very Smart Society. And there are times when going in and providing food can have a positive impact. Um, But in those cases, it tends to be very, very strictly monitored and done. And it's for the reasons you're stating. Uh, A, you want to make sure they're getting the right food. Um, You want to make sure that you're not luring them away from a certain area or toward a certain area. Uh, and especially given the location of this field, if people are going and placing food, they could be drawing him closer to the highway, which yeah. uh, is very possibly how he got injured in the first place. Um, yeah. So there, there's all of those ancillary issues. And that's why it's I, I agree with your and it's very, very frustrating as people, I think, who talk about this a lot, because ninety nine point nine percent of the time, my messages don't feed wildlife. Uh, yeah. chances are you're going to contribute or create problems that you don't see um, by changing behavior, by, you know, uh, adding something to the ecosystem. Uh, one of the big ones, as you've talked about, is drawing in predators. Um, so it is very interesting that it's sort of a, a problem. And then one of the other things, of course, that's come up is denning. Um, and you and the others have placed a temporary den of sorts in a neighboring field. But there, there are people who say this is not a good idea. Uh, I have not followed that conversation very closely, but I am interested. What are the pros and cons of sort of creating this artificial den for him uh, near where he has been hanging out? Well, I guess because I, I know I'm more familiar with the pros, so I'll start <laughs> off with that. <laughs> so um, I, I know from uh, experience with bear rehabilitation that they do uh, accept those man-made structures to den in. Um, in, in the, at the Cochrane Ecological Institute, the bear enclosure that uh, has been used more recently by bears is six acres large. Mm-hmm. They could have chose to den anywhere, but they chose um, the den that we provided, which actually was, uh, or that the CEI provided, which actually was a bear trap because they wanted to be able to have them used to this bear trap so that then when they were uh, denning in their second to third year, ready for release, then it was a no-stress way of releasing them. So they could just put the bear trap in the back of a truck and drive it to the release site. Bears are sleeping, no stress to them. Excellent. They wake up in the spring out in the that's, wild. That's the same way you, you uh, crate train a dog. So that yeah. when they're at the, well, no, it's, it's so when they're at the vet or you have people over or like for instance, I'm uh, my landlord has a plumber coming in tomorrow, um, so I need uh, my dogs to be sort of away while he's working. That's right. That's right. Um, so yeah, so we we know that we know that they do like our man-made structures even in the wild. So mm-hmm. down by um, Waterton area, there's some decommissioned roads 
but they haven't fully decommissioned them. And along those roads are culverts. And um, and bears have been denning in those empty culverts wow. and have chosen those spaces over, you know, underneath a tree, maybe maybe a, a few feet away or whatnot. So so we know that they like that they do like that. I wouldn't say they prefer it, but I do I do acknowledge that that they do accept our man-made den. The reason too why this is a pro for this little bear uh, Russell is because he is underweight. And at the time when we built the den, there was no indication that he even had an undercoat wow. from the pictures that we had seen. Uh, now it's looking like he maybe is starting to grow a little bit of that undercoat, but definitely not even close to the degree of what a healthy bear has. And so the chances of surviving a cold winter, and we are predicted to have a very cold winter this year, is not very high. So this den that we built is heavily insulated. And so uh, not only is it heavily insulated with um, steel wool, the same sort of insulation people use in their homes, mm-hmm. but it also then has a whole pile of um, straw ba- of hay bales all around it and hay bale bedding inside. So when I was packing that bedding inside, it was warm. We were out on a really cold day. I think it was like minus 15-ish degrees. And when I had my head in there while I was packing that bed, I was I was really getting quite warm, so so it's definitely a warm den. So I think that for those reasons, it's a, mainly the warmth reason. It is a really good option for him, but I have no idea if he's going to find it. So yeah. um, so we'll have to wait and see. Well, and I suppose one potential criticism of it is that you are encouraging to encouraging him to stay in the area, which may not be ideal for him. Um, or you may be attracting another bear to hang out there. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I honestly, I've never looked into, I've never read about artificial denning. So, um, I'm, I'm just genuinely curious as to, uh, what sort of the other side of this could be. Yeah. And it could even attract like a different species of animal too to, to occupy the space. I mm. don't know. Um, yeah, encouraging him to stay in the area. We're setting them up sort of to, either way though, even if he'd end on his own, I think he would be in that area. But this whole scenario is going to unfold again in the spring. Well, come spring, people are going to be driving by, keeping their eye out for a, a limping bear, seeing if he survives the winter, possibly feeding him some more at that time. Um, so he's already quite conditioned to human presence. He doesn't really even lift his head anymore when people come by. Um, and so he has that chance to rewild during that hibernation period or torpor is the technical term for bears. And, um, and then coming out again in that same area, since it's such a high traffic area, so many people around, then, then he's, then he's, uh, again in that situation where he's becoming habituated to people. So again, then that gives us, um, reason to think that or reason to believe quite strongly that releasing or taking him to the Cochrane Ecological Institute, rehabbing him there, decreases his chances of of having that habituation factor because right now he has hundreds of people feeding him as opposed to just one person feeding him there. Um, and then he could be released in a spot that has less uh, humans around. So we could strategically choose a place that, that would 
give him a better chance of survival without habituation. Well, and that was actually my next question was about the habituation, um, which for those who, who are not too familiar with it, is sort of a blanket term for becoming comfortable with something. Uh, typically, we mean it to be comfortable around people. Um, uh, I guess proximity tolerance is the more accurate term for that. But one of the elements of that that is interesting is the Alberta Environment and Parks uh, spokespeople in their letters and communications have said that uh, rehabilitation will habituate him to humans, which as far as I know, there is no evidence of happening uh, in a proper rehab facility. Uh, and again, this is a very, very common practice in Ontario and British Columbia to rehab bear cubs. Um, and our original, uh, the fur bear's original statement that I drafted was that by doing nothing, they were the government was creating the potential for all of these problems. And that is talking about feeding and talking about all of the people stopping by and taking pictures and um, all of the other sort of potentials. Um, so it, it is interesting sort of how the the actual rehab process, you can manage it so much better. Uh, and yeah. and speaking of that, one of the elements that's come up both, I, I don't know that it's come up necessarily in this bear group that we're in, but I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, we've gotten a lot of emails. We've gotten a lot of comments on social media of people saying, why don't we just go take the bear? Uh, yeah. And we as in animal lovers. And yeah. why don't you just go and do it? Why don't you just tranquilize him and assess him? Why don't we do it? And I think it's actually, at first I kind of dismiss it as someone who's upset, but as this has gone forward, I think it's actually a reasonable question to ask, and you're yeah. kind of an ideal person to answer uh, for the various ways that could happen. Why don't we just go do it? Oh, well, yeah, that's a question I've had to answer a lot. And so, first off, there has been people trying to just go and take him. Sorry about my baby here. Um, and so, there's uh, one guy, one of the neighbors there said that... Um, one fella went and had a dog leash and was trying to leash him oh, and lure him to his vehicle. So there's uh, been situations like that, and I'm sure that there's many other stories that I'm just unaware of of where people have tried to unsuccessfully catch him. Now, so the so that brings up the issue that the government's ban on rehabilitating bears actually leads to an underground group of people trying to rehabilitate bears. Mm -hmm. People with zero experience doing this. There's only two people in the province of Alberta that have the expertise to rehabilitate bears, and that's Charlie Russell and Cleo Seaton. And so other people shouldn't, I don't believe that other people should be allowed to just go do that, because there is a lot of protocol that needs to be followed. And there's been a lot of science that uh, supports this protocol, and so I think that those are the standards that should be met. Now, the other reason why we can't just go catch him. Now, beyond just the, let's say, the CEI just went and took him. Mm -hmm. Beyond the fact that they could lose their license and all the animals in their care could become euthanized by the government in the response to them losing their license, there's just the main fact that they don't have a bear trap. They would need to borrow one from Fish and Wildlife. And they don't have the cooperation of a vet. It's the drug that's used to um, tranquilize bears is very similar to the date rape drug. And an experienced vet has to be able to look at the animal, estimate the weight, and calculate the proper dosage of this drug that's being used. And if it's incorrectly used, it could actually risk the life, the life of that animal. 
So we need that veterinarian cooperation to do that. And um, without, uh, again, without Alberta Environment and Park participation and, and consent, they don't even have to participate, just the consent, then no vet can really do it. So um, there's, there's those factors that are involved. I do believe, though, back in the end of September, he was so weak and so injured that we probably could have just gone and picked him up. Yeah. And put him in a sack. There's, um, uh, once animals, when animals are being rescued in that way, if you put them into a dark, um, a dark bag or into a dark area, once the darkness is there, it really lowers their cortisol levels and the stress factors for the capture myopathy as a response. So, um, that could have taken place back then, but at that time too, it just seemed like such a logical thing that, that the CEI would, would, Received the temporary shelter permit that this wasn't that we didn't have nobody had to go and secretly take a bear because why would we it's just the logical thing that this guy would have been uh, accepted to get to get rehabilitated but that just didn't happen the Alberta government has said they don't want to set a precedent of paying for this they don't want to do um, you know they don't want to uh, take on the costs and the burdens um, which is interesting to me because I'm not aware of any rehabber anywhere in Canada who receives funding from the government. Um, now, exactly. that's not to say they may get a contract here or there or be provided with reimbursement on an associated cost, but not a, like, we're going to give you X dollars to do your job. Uh, it's all done through charity. Not even a penny. Yeah. Not even a penny. So it is entirely funded by people who give donations or whatever fundraising effort these uh, these individual rehab associations do. So the government has zero cost. Taxpayers have zero cost unless they're a taxpayer who chooses to donate and receive their charitable tax receipt <laughs> to uh, rehabilitation facilities. So, so that argument has absolutely no backing and it's absolutely ridiculous. The only way where a cost is is incurred is if because likelihood let's say in the spring bear hunt a hunter accidentally kills a female thinking it's a male Mm -hmm. and then finds out that it's just orphaned two bear bear cubs for example then they usually would call a fish and wildlife officer first they wouldn't call the rehab facility so fish and wildlife expenses might be just coming to the scene taking those bears to the rehabilitation facility so maybe it is a day's wages that's uh, incurred by government or um, in the case of when we released our last, when the CEI released their last bears, uh, Fish and Wildlife were excited to come in a company with that. So, so they joined on the release and um, used their trucks to put the bear trap in, and and it was a really nice day for them to go and do that. So again, a day's worth of wages. So two days of wages tops, yeah. and that's about the only cost that is incurred to them. Well, and what's fascinating to me is that Alberta Environment and Parks has been going and monitoring this cub. They've been dealing with, um, you know, advocates uh, advocates like myself contacting them and saying, hey, why aren't you answering my questions? They're dealing with yeah. people who are going and trying to feed the bear. Um, like, they're, they're putting significant resources into this now uh, yeah. through, you know, uh, um, uh, manpower. And it's it's funny to me because, well, funny in a sad way, had they accepted the initial offer, the, the initial ask by Cochrane Ecological Institute to rehab the bear cub, the initial offers and asks from the, the public to respond in such a way to allow this, 
their costs would be virtually non-existent at this point. Exactly. And they could be working on other issues. Instead, by not doing anything, they're now expending a great deal of ongoing resources. Yeah. Uh, and they're, and it's going to continue. Yeah. Even if this little bear cub doesn't survive, his story is imprinted on the hearts of people across Canada now. And those people, they are not giving up until that policy is changed. So those resources are going to continue being spent as they receive more and more letters and more and more outcry from the public. And until they allow the rehabilitation of all of Alberta's indigenous indigenous wildlife, it's not going to stop. And and I and I make a pledge to that as well. Excellent. And people who want to help, um, what is the what are the best ways they can go about uh, assisting? And again, this is people like myself who are way, way out of town, uh, folks who live right there and have been saying, I want to do something. I want to go feed the bear. I want to go, you know, take the bear into my minivan at night. What are the best ways for people to uh, actually help this situation as well as all of the other animals, like you said, who, who suffer because of this kind of policy? I think, well, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out what the best way of helping is because at first I thought the best way was send a letter, make a phone call, send off an email. And uh, to, to our Minister of uh, Alberta, Alberta Environment and Parks, to the Deputy Minister, to all of the staff in that office and that department, to our Minister of Transportation, um, not Transportation, I'm sorry, of, um, of Tourism, our Minister yeah. of Tourism, because uh, this is a tourist issue as well, and also to our Premier. And I really felt that with enough voices, if our voices was, were loud enough, if we could co- collectively get together and demand that these policies change, that they would. And it's not happened. So I still think that's the best option. However, I'm trying to come up with a creative way that maybe we can influence policy in a more effective way as well. But I think right now the best thing is continue calling, continue emailing and writing letters and uh, contacting your MLA. Somebody's got to make a difference in, in the government and stand up and say enough is enough. We've got to change this. And I know they are reviewing the policy, but I really just don't trust that anything's going to change. So, so we really need to stand up. They have zero data to support the policy of euthanizing all these orphan animals. It's not just bears. It's wolves and cougars and coyotes even some ungulate species that are orphaned. Um, there's no data to support that rehabilitation doesn't work. There's an overwhelming amount of data in regards to bear rehabilitation that shows it's a very effective conservation tool. And, uh, and this is accepted by every place in the world that has bears, except for Alberta. We are the only place in the world that doesn't permit rehabilitating bears. And so that is a big problem. Um, and, to, and, they, and I have yet to have, I've asked, requested the data that supports their, their decision. I have yet to receive that data. So they just don't, they simply just don't have it. It doesn't exist. So they definitely have to make some changes. If you'd like to take action to help Russell, please visit thefurbears.com slash Russell to see a list of blogs regarding advocacy items or contact the Cochrane Ecological Institute at C-E-I-N-S-T dot O-R-G to learn more about rehabbing in Alberta. That's the show for this week, folks. 
Remember to sign up for Defender Radio email updates at thefurbears.com slash updates to get notified of new episodes, contests, and more. You can also follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Defender Radio or Instagram at Howie Michael. Thanks for joining me and hearing how you can help Russell. For Defender Radio and the Fur Bears, I'm Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. 